This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Wow, was that a powerful time of worship or what? That was just awesome. Listen, every Sunday, Kevin and I pray that God will give us a message that's specifically tailored for the people who are here. And even if you're here for the very first time, you're probably going to walk out and say, golly, was that pastor in my closet this week? I know many of you have said that to me, all right? I just want you to know I wasn't in your closet, but God was, all right? And that's how that works. But you know, we've begun something new in our church, and and I want to tell you about it because our worship team probably wouldn't tell you about it. And that is our worship team has entered into a time of saying, God, in the same way that you give to Pastor Kevin and Pastor Ron specific messages for our church, would you give us specific songs for our church and would you write them through us? And the song that we sang earlier this morning, Awake My Soul to Sing, was actually written by three members of our worship team as a a response to, to that prayer. And I think it's not a coincidence that God would write a song to them that says, Awake my soul on a Sunday that I'm going to talk to you about guilt. Because if there's ever a time or a subject about which God would want to awaken in us His joy, His goodness, His forgiveness... And that our souls would have something to sing about. It would be on the other side of joy. I'm going to tell you a tiny true story and then I'll get into the message. A few weeks ago, we had a baptism service here. It was a fabulous service and all kinds of people were coming and they were getting baptized. And I got a phone call the next day. And it was from a lady in our church who got baptized on Sunday. And she said to me, I didn't sleep all night. And I thought, how strange. Here comes someone to be forgiven of their sins and to be washed clean by what Jesus did for them. And the very first night that they are in Christ, they can't sleep. And I said, I I need some explanation for that. And here's what she said. I'll never forget this. She said, I've never known in my life what it meant to be fully forgiven of everything I had ever done. She said, frankly, I didn't want to go to sleep. I didn't ever want to lose that feeling. I hope that that's what we come out with this morning. So, Welcome to church. It's going to be a powerful time of connecting with God. For those of you who are brand new to New Life, I want to give you a special welcome this morning. I know that because you're at church, at least at some level, you're exploring connecting with God. And I just want to encourage you on that journey. That's why we're here. That's why I'm here. I've been walking with Christ for years. But you know, every week, God reveals something to me that takes me deeper 
and further into that journey. And it's, it's a more full expression of the song that we sang that said, take me deeper. Where my faith is without borders. And so, whether you're a first-time guest who's a long-time Christian, or you're a first-time guest who's just beginning to explore what life with God would be like, I just want to say, you've come to the right place. We're so excited that you're here. And I just want to give you a special welcome. Let me give uh, to you some instructions that all of us get every Sunday. There are two pieces of paper that I'd like for you to pull from your program right now, if you would. The long, uh, tall card and the, and the sheet of notes that says New Life Notes on them. Because at some level you're trying to connect with God, we as a church want to do everything we can to help you along on that journey. So we give everyone who comes to church the opportunity and the ability to connect directly with our staff because we will pray about things that are happening in your life. We'll get you information, any information that you might want to have. If you want to talk with one of us about something that's going on in your life, uh, the way all that begins is through this card. Right now on the front side of it, there's a place called contact information, a box down here at the bottom. Uh, Please fill that out. All of us do. And at the end of our service, we'll be passing baskets and you can place the card in there. On the back side is where you can write down something you'd like for us to pray about. If you'd like to meet with one of us, just write it in one of the blanks. If you'd like information, there's all sorts of places on there to request that. And I want to uh, direct your attention to the middle part of this side of the card that that, uh, says New Life at the top of it. In the middle section says, I want to apply today's teaching by, I'll be referring to that at the end of my teaching. So uh, keep that ready, if you would. And then uh, the New Life notes probably need no explanation. Uh, they are uh, provided for your learning. Uh, if you're a fill-in-the-blank sort of person, uh, I would encourage you fill in the blanks because you'll remember more what you write than just what you hear. And if you have other notes, you can take them uh, and jot them down um, along the outside of, of uh, in the margins. Now, there's probably not a person here who doesn't even currently deal with, grief, with guilt at some level. Is that true? Would you say that's true? Of course it is. Of course it is. So I want to pray for us this morning, and then we'll get into the teaching. Father... Boy, do we struggle with guilt. We struggle to get it right. Sometimes we we feel guilty about stuff that actually we shouldn't feel guilty about at all. And then sadly, Father, other times we don't feel guilty about stuff we should feel guilty about. And then sometimes, Father, when we feel guilty about stuff we should feel guilty about, we don't know what to do with that or we don't do the right things with it. So this morning, would you come and sort of reset what goes on on the inside of us with regard to guilt so that we could take our guilt to the right places, feel guilty about the right things, not feel guilty about the, the things we shouldn't feel guilty about, and most of all, that we could step out of the cage of guilt that, that, that so keeps us from exploring what you want to do in and through our lives. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1904, 
Ivan Pavlov was awarded the Nobel Prize for Science because of his work with dogs. If you had a ninth grade science class, you know that, right? Or at least part of that. And one of the things that you know was was Pavlov noticed that when he fed dogs, they salivated. And he wondered, was what did they salivate? Was that triggered by the food in their mouths? Or was that actually triggered by something that went on in the brain of the dog? That was a sort of thing that he later termed a conditioned reflex. And through a series of scientific experiments that involved a bell, you remember that from your class? Every time he fed the dogs, prior to feeding the dogs, he would ring the bell. And eventually the dogs got to where, even without food, whenever he would ring the bell, they would salivate, and he called it a conditioned reflex. Now you and I, our lives are influenced and in some cases even governed by a series of conditioned reflexes like that. In fact, more than we would like to admit. For instance, some of us have, I call it a silly little laugh. And when things get a little bit awkward, (laughs) and we have it, we don't know why we have it, But there's a little mechanism inside of us that triggers that laugh. And we laugh when things aren't even funny. They're just awkward, right? My staff tells me I have a conditioned reflex. And when we're sitting in a staff meeting and I'm about ready to share something that I think is important, I take off my glasses. So if I'm talking to you and I take off my glasses, you know you better listen, right? And they will sometimes mimic me, right? That's how that goes. We all have conditioned reflexes that are these subconscious things that trigger in us certain behaviors, and who knows why we develop them, but the two I just talked to you about are relatively innocent. But there are a number of conditioned reflexes that are not nearly so innocent. For instance... Probably everyone in the audience knows of somebody whose conditioned reflex to stress is alcohol. That's not quite so innocent, is it? Yeah. Others of us know people whose conditioned reflex to children who are out of control is to yell and scream. And in spite of the fact that we have told ourselves, when I get old enough to be a parent and I have kids of my own, I will never yell and scream at my kids like my parents yelled and screamed at me. And what do we find ourselves doing? Yelling and screaming at our kids. I think if we were to be honest about those things, we would be absolutely amazed and maybe shocked at how much of our lives we live in that zone called conditioned reflex. Now this morning, I want to talk to us about one of the most important conditioned reflexes that God has given us, and that's the conditioned reflex of guilt. Because if we don't get this right, it's not innocent, it's it's actually destructive. So let's start with what the Bible says about guilt. Great place to begin. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 
here's what the Bible says. The kind of sorrow God wants us to experience. Could you just in your margin underline that and put a little arrow and write guilt? Because that's actually what he's talking about. The kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and it results in salvation and there's no regret for that kind of sorrow. Wow. So at its root, we know this about good guilt or about true guilt or about godly guilt. And that is that guilt is a holy and it's a healthy reflex given to us by God to motivate us to repent, receive His forgiveness, and change our behavior. That's what you need to know about guilt. Which, friends, is why when you go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist who actually has chosen to be cut off from God, and they tell you that guilt is a product of your imagination, and it's holding you back, and you need to learn how to live in a world without guilt, and you need to disassociate your behavior from your guilt, they are absolutely lying to you. They're trying to kill in you something very good. Would you think for a minute about something I know you've heard? That one of the things that makes a sociopath is a person who has no conscience. When you kill your sense of guilt, you are creating the foundation for a sociopath. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Do you want to live in a world of sociopaths? I don't think so. Neither do I. You need to understand that when you sin, there's a very healthy and holy thing that happens to you, and it happens on the inside of you, and it's given to you by God, and it's that knot in your stomach that goes, that stinks. I shouldn't have done that. That's terrible. It is, as Paul put it here, a godly sorrow. And it's designed to motivate you to get up and do something about that. And we're going to see at the end two things that we can do, actually three, things that we can do that take that very healthy and holy guilt and handle it appropriately so that, as you saw in that passage, there's no regret left. That's the goal. No regret left. We're going to see this through some experiences in the life of the Apostle Peter. So um, let's go look uh, into the life of the Apostle Peter. And I need to give you just a tiny little bit backstory. Okay? Jesus has just been arrested. He's been uh, placed in handcuffs. And he's been led away to a, a trial that everyone knows is going to be a kangaroo trial. And, he, and, and they're going to condemn him to die. And, and everyone has fled that was part of Jesus' followers, except for Peter. And Peter's too curious to run, so he follows at a distance. And, that's, and, and, and Jesus is taken to the, the, the house of the high priest, and that's where we'll pick up the story. And it's found, it's one of the few stories that's found actually in all four Gospels. So I just sort of took all four of those stories and gave you the condensed um, uh, version of the story. Because it was cold in the courtyard, 
the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire, and Peter joined them there. And a servant girl looked at him closely and said, You are one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't even know what you're talking about, he said. Later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, Ah, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know that guy, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, You must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. And they were down in Judea. So somebody who was from Galilee had a completely different accent. A little bit like when someone is here from Houston. You know what I mean? All right. You have to be. This time Peter swore with an oath. He said, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Now, (coughs) if you don't know a little bit of the backstory, Jesus had said to Peter earlier that day, After Peter said, Lord, if everyone forsakes you, nah, not me. I'm in. You can count on me. And Jesus looked at him, and I'm going to read you the passage a little later, but one of the things he said is, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny three times that you even know me. So when the rooster crowed, take a look at what happened. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And suddenly Jesus' words flashed through his mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. You know what Peter got at that moment? That knot in his stomach that said to him, Peter, you know better than this. You know this is wrong. You know what you're doing is the wrong thing. You should not be doing this And you should feel guilty. Sure enough, he did. It says he went away weeping bitterly. There's two things that are sort of happening here. And the first is a very good thing. It's the thing I just described to you. It's that godly sorrow that motivated Peter to go out, weep bitterly, confess his sin to God, and ask for forgiveness. That's all good stuff. And by the way... To change his behavior. That's a part of repentance. Did you know that for the rest of of Peter's life, we never have a single instance of him ever denying Jesus again? And history reveals that eventually Peter was crucified for his faith. And even in in the face of crucifixion, he never denied again. He got it right. But you know... I want to talk to us about something I call the echoes of guilt. Because there's the voice of guilt that speaks truth to us. But oftentimes after we have properly dealt with the voice of guilt, if we're not careful, the echoes of guilt continue to echo in our soul and spirit. That's false guilt. And there are three principal kinds of false guilt. And I I don't have time to go into all three of them in any detail this morning. But I put them in your notes because you need to know them. Okay? And the first is, the, the first form of false guilt is guilt over something that isn't actually wrong. If you grew up in a legalistic church, 
Or you grew up in a church that was sort of highly motivated by guilt. It was a sort of hellfire and brimstone, a very you know authoritarian kind of church. And they told you all the things that you couldn't, couldn't do. And usually the list of things that you couldn't do is much longer than the list of things you could do. You know what I'm talking about? Then you probably feel guilty about things you shouldn't feel guilty about. That's false guilt. How can God forgive you of something that isn't wrong? That's kind of tough, don't you think? Even tougher, how can you ever receive forgiveness for something that isn't wrong? There's a conflict of interest that goes on in your soul. Second kind of false guilt is this, is feeling guilty over something that isn't our responsibility. Very, very common scenario when someone has been sexually or physically abused as a child or when someone is in an abusive relationship as a marriage, it's very common for the person who's being abused to carry tremendous guilt thinking there's something wrong with me. I must have done something that is creating this behavior. And you feel guilty for something that actually others around you are doing to you. Once again, how are you ever going to receive forgiveness for something that actually you didn't do? It's false guilt. It's one of those echoes of guilt that just sort of bounces around in our soul and spirit. And the third one was the one that I think Peter was going to have to deal with in this particular case. And that is feeling guilty over something God already forgave. You know something? For you and me, when the rooster crows and it reminds us that, we're, that we have done something wrong, it's no big deal because not too many of us keep roosters in the yard. Okay? Peter, however, lived in a rural society, and even in the city of Jerusalem, there were chickens and roosters everywhere, and every single morning that Peter woke up, he woke up to roosters crowing, and what do you think it reminded him of? Yeah, lowest point in his life. It's what I call the echoes of guilt. Now listen, whether the guilt is true guilt or whether it's false guilt, both kinds of guilt dull our sense of spiritual adventure. You need to know that. In the language of sports, both kinds of guilt put us on the bench and take us out of the game. And this morning, we're going to look at two keys to how to get back into the game. And the great thing is we're going to see them right in Peter's life. And Jesus is going to illustrate them for him. And then, he's, and then he's going to ask Peter to turn around and do this for other people. So let's take a look at the two keys that, that will get us out of the cage of guilt. And the first key is the key of prayer. If we back up the train just a little bit in Peter's life, and Jesus is predicting to Peter, look, Peter, before the, the, the rooster crows, you're going to deny three times that you even know me. Listen to how Jesus frames this for Peter. Here it is uh, from the Bible. Simon, Simon, that was Peter's other name. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Have you ever, you ever feel like you've been worked over by Satan? Put your hand in the air if you ever feel like you've been... 
Of course you feel like that, right? And sometimes we give in. Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. But what does he say? But I have what? Prayed for you. Listen, Jesus was not just divine. He was fully human. So he had all the same feelings and emotions that you and I have. You know what Jesus knows about Peter? And what he knows about himself? Jesus says this on the day that he's going to be arrested. On the, on the day before he's going to be crucified. It's the darkest hour of Jesus' life. Now I have a question for you. Have you ever had a close friend betray you? Sure you have. Did it hurt? Oh yeah. And the closer they were to you, the deeper it hurt. Now listen, have you ever had a close friend betray you at the moment you needed them most? It makes it hurt even worse. Jesus looks at Peter and he knows Peter's about to do that to him. What's your normal reflex when something like that is about ready to take place? I'm guessing that you get upset and you're probably not all that gracious toward them. Okay? No, none of us would be. And Jesus knew that that was the wrong reflex. And so he said, but, but I have prayed. And I think in that prayer for, for Peter, Jesus not only prayed for Peter, Jesus prayed for himself that he would not act toward Peter like he felt like acting toward Peter but that he would actually be able to act toward Peter in love and forgiveness. And so, the Holy Spirit reconditioned Jesus' reflex, natural reflex, so he could respond with a healthy and holy response. Friends, I don't want you to miss that lesson. It's through prayer that we give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to recondition what is our maybe usual and normal response. And it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to move beyond guilt to a healthy and holy response to that guilt. There's no substitute for that. So I want to tell you this morning, if you're struggling with guilt, whether it's false guilt or true guilt, you go to God in prayer, you open your heart, you talk to God about that, and you stay with God until He reconditions your heart. A few years ago, I was dealing with guilt, big time guilt in my life. And uh, without getting into any of the details, most of it was false guilt. But it doesn't make any difference because, because whether it's true guilt or false guilt, it, it took me out of the game. And, the, and that guilt in my life got to such an intense point, it took me straight into depression. And I went to see the doctor and the doctor prescribed Prozac for me. And that was the only way I could get through the day. Now, I don't have to tell you, that's not a, a, 
a healthy place to be. And I struggled with that guilt for um, weeks. And I could find no relief. And while the Prozac would take the edge off of it, let me tell you something Prozac can't do. It cannot change the condition of your heart. And it cannot recondition your inner reflexes of your subconscious mind. I sat at my dining room table during a time of prayer with God in which I just sort of emptied my soul and said, God, I don't know. I, I might be broken beyond repair. I don't know if you can ever use me again. I don't know if I can ever feel right again. I, I don't know. I'm scared. And then God spoke to me. And he said, Ron, and he took me to a passage of Scripture. And, and, and the, the heart of that passage of Scripture was that every thought that was in my mind had to be brought captive to Christ. And he said, Ron, the thoughts that you're thinking, all those guilty thoughts, those don't come from me. That's not that holy and healthy kind of guilt. That's that echoey kind of false guilt. But it's taken you out of the game. And here's the worst part. And that is, you're actually giving space to it in your mind. And you're feeding it in your mind and your heart. And none of that stuff comes from me. And so, I began to pray, God forgive me. For taking the thoughts that come from my enemy. Who is also your enemy. Forgive me for giving space to that in my heart and in my soul. And with your help, I will bring every thought into captivity to Christ. I want to tell you the rest of that story. In 20 minutes, God changed my life. Literally, in 20 minutes. I got up from that table and I was a new guy. That was on a Thursday morning. Sunday morning, I walked into the lobby of our church and the people who know me well looked me in the eye and I must have had a half a dozen people that day who knew me well looked me in the eye and they said one statement, you're back. And I was. The number one thing to do with real guilt or false guilt is take it to God in prayer and ask Him to help you deal with it. Second thing, speak forgiveness into other people's lives. Yeah. Speak forgiveness into other people's lives. I want to tell you why and then I'll read the passage of Scripture. Because when you begin to speak forgiveness into other people's lives, it helps you more fully grasp your own. And you feel more forgiven. Here's how it worked in in Peter's life. 
At breakfast, just after dawn, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I don't think he was saying, love me more than these, these other guys around here. But there was a whole bunch of fish in front of them. And Peter had just decided to go back fishing because he wasn't sure he could actually be uh, a pastor eventually. Hmm. He had some echoes going on there. You understand? He had just denied Jesus. He thought he was out of the game. Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Well, then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Well, then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And then a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Listen, Jesus knew the answer to those questions before he ever asked. But I think that there's some really important reasons for why he asked. And I think there's an important reason for why he asked three times. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. So you know what Jesus did? Jesus helped Peter openly confess his love for him three times. The same lips that had denied him were now professing their love for him. And he knew it would be good for Peter to say it out loud. So he asked him a question he already knew the answer to so Peter could say it. I want to say one other thing about this. It's a little phrase at the beginning of that passage that says, at dawn. Jesus could have come to the disciples at any hour during the day, but I guess that perhaps it was for Peter that Jesus came at dawn because as they sat around that fire eating breakfast and the sun was coming up, guess what noise was going on? Yeah. The roosters were crowing. And Jesus said to him, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. Now, if you knew anything about Jesus, the most important thing in his world were his people that he called his sheep. And he was saying to Peter, When the rooster crows, I want you to remember that I'm entrusting to you my most precious possession. And he was reconditioning Peter's internal responses. He was redeeming them. That brings up a really important question. Would Jesus do that for you and me? And the answer is yes, he would. In fact, you already have an indicator that he has. As we close, I want to briefly tell you one more story and to give you a chance to respond. When Jesus was being arrested, they sent this ragtag army. It was actually the high priest, and it was the security of the high priest 
and a contingent of soldiers who came to arrest Jesus. Now, the high priest in the Jewish nation was the rough equivalent to our president. So if you got this, you've got the president, right? And you've got the president's security, right? And, and they, they are coming to arrest Jesus. And that's where we want to pick up the story. Because when they show up to arrest Jesus, Peter jumps into action and here it is. Take a look. Simon Peter drew a sword and he slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. Now listen, I doubt that Peter had an ear collection. He was swinging to kill that guy. Now if we pause the story right there, Peter is in some really serious trouble. If the president comes to town and you take a hack at one of the Secret Service agents that are protecting him, and you miss to the point you cut off his ear, are you going to be arrested? What do you think? Yep. Are you going to be charged with a serious crime? Yeah. You're going to be charged at a, probably with attempted murder, but, but most assuredly assault with a deadly weapon. And my friends, you are going to do some serious time. Peter, right then, is in serious legal trouble. But I want you to see what Jesus did. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Now, if that's just where the story ends, well, okay, Jesus healed somebody. But I want you to think about this. Let's just suppose that Malchus is a little bit offended. And he decides to press charges against Peter. So they end up in court, and the judge says, okay, Malchus, what's the charge? That man over there cut off my right ear. He took a hack at my head. He missed my head. He cut off my right ear. And the judge says, "Uh, Malchus, could you come here? Let me take a look at that. And he goes to take a look at it, and what does he see? The ear is there, and because it was Jesus who healed it, is there any scar? There's nothing. There's nothing. And the judge looks at Malchus and goes, so what evidence do you have? Looks good to me. Case dismissed. You see, it wasn't just Malchus that Jesus was healing. Jesus was redeeming Peter from real trouble. Now I want you to just fast forward a few hours and Jesus is hanging on the cross. What's he doing on the cross? He's taking all the evidence against you and me called sin. And he recognizes on the day that Jesus comes again and we stand before God And God says, what's the charge against you? That no matter what anyone says or could say, or no matter what Satan himself might say against you or me, everything we've ever done wrong has been healed by Jesus on the cross. The evidence has been destroyed. And God says, come here. Let me take a look. And when he looks, 
there is no evidence. And he says, case dismissed. That's why the cross was so important. This morning there are three ways for us to respond. The first is, that destruction of the evidence in your life is not automatic. It's something you have to choose. And you choose it by faith, and you choose it by becoming a follower of Jesus. And I want to give you the opportunity this morning to choose to become a follower of Jesus. Because that's where being released from the cage of guilt begins. No one can take you out of that cage, really, but Jesus. So you check that on your card if you're making that decision right now. A second way that, that, we can, that we can do this is for us to agree to spend some time in prayer and, and, and release our false guilt or even our true guilt by asking God to recondition what's going on inside of us so it comes in alignment with His Word and allow the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. And then the third thing is for us to get up off of our knees and go find other people in our world and to speak forgiveness into their lives, to express love to someone who least expects it and least deserves it. Did Peter expect Jesus to speak love and affirmation into his life? No. Did he deserve it? Even less. But he got it, nevertheless. Let's pray. Father, pray for my friends this morning. I pray about this very subject. God, for those who have never accepted you, would you speak into their lives powerfully right now? Would you give them grace to check that on the card that they're receiving your forgiveness today and they're making that huge life-changing decision to get in line behind Jesus and become one of his followers so that they could receive the full and complete forgiveness of their sins. Father, for all the rest of us, would you give us grace to take it all to you in prayer and then to look for people in our world and be ministers of your grace and your love. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.